welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. I'm running on limited time this morning on my way to work, and I just wanted to talk about this issue, and then uh, maybe I'll cover another one on my way back home today. But um, there, there's been kind of a, a long-running joke uh, among a lot of conservatives and, and Republicans who have said, you know, that Donald Trump could cure cancer and the Democrats would still hate him over it. And sometimes it does seem like that, you know, and I've spent a lot of time on this podcast saying things like, I'm not a Trump supporter, but this is where the media was wrong or unfair to him. Or, you know, I'm not a Trump apologist, but you can see what he's doing here, whatever it is. And uh, I've seen a couple of headlines, uh, a couple of things recently that have made me see that that is actually not true, that there are things that Donald Trump does um, that Republicans and Democrats alike can get behind. And um, there have been two of these things that have kind of popped up recently, uh, one of which was his executive order to make hospitals be transparent in their pricing, to make sure that everyone can see what things are supposed to cost. And the other one is he has signed a federal animal cruelty bill into law. And everyone on both sides of the aisle are completely behind him in this. And everybody finally, at the very least, even the people who hate him the most have given him a little bit of silence over it. Like, well, yeah, you know, the, the blind squirrel finds the nut every now and then. But on today's episode, I am here to tell you why both of those things, which received support from all across the board, I'm here to tell you why both of those are actually not good policies. And we should not be happy about this And um, as I tend to say, uh, if something passes with bipartisan support, it's usually a pretty bad law. You know, it's it's usually in an area where um, both sides of the fence are are lacking in their principles and in their understanding of how government works and, and how the free market works. So back in June, Donald Trump signed an executive order that said that hospitals were going to have to be transparent in their pricing. They were going to have to be able to provide insurers and uh, therefore also the federal government with a list of their drugs and their treatments and their procedures and how much all of those things are supposed to cost. So that that way, when you go into the hospital for whatever ailment you may have, you should have a reasonable idea of what the bill would be once you know, you know, what you need to have done. And, you know, the obvious issue here is that the healthcare prices are continuing to increase, that people often cite medical expenses as part of their bankruptcy. Um, so you hear about a lot of people going bankrupt because of medical expenses. The truth there actually is that most of the time people go bankrupt because they have other debts and they lump the medical expenses in with that. And <clears throat> the figure I saw was something like 10 to 15% of the total debt is medical debt, but because it gets put in um, with everything else, then you kind of have this little bit of a myth going around that lots of people are going bankrupt because of healthcare costs, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and now a group of hospitals are suing to stop uh, this executive order from taking place. So they are claiming that for the federal government to force them to disclose their prices and to compile this giant list of costs, they are saying that that would 
violate their First First Amendment rights by provoking, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the phrase, basically provoking speech, um, that you're forcing them to say something, uh, to talk about something that they are not willing to talk about. And, and basically their argument is that the amount of time and effort that it's going to take them to get all of these prices together and the, the size of the, the spreadsheets that they're going to have um, is going to be so outrageous that the costs are going to outweigh the benefits of this type of program, this type of requirement. So just off the top of my head, I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking into the constitutionality of that, but my initial guess is that the court is going to uphold the hospital's request. That they are going to say that this is you know, provoked speech, that this is something that they are not required by law or by the constitution to do. And I had a friend post about this and he and he is generally a pretty principled guy, very intelligent dude. And he said, I'm a big fan of the free market, but this is one area where I do think it's a good idea for the government to get involved. And of course, being your host of a podcast that is based on peace, property rights and free markets, I got a little triggered, you know, it, it caused that little bit of pain in my chest and the, the tingling in my arm that made me wonder if I wasn't about to get some surprise ex medical expenses myself. And so I wanted to take some time here talking about that because because our healthcare system is such a mess and because everything is such a, a just a giant cluster, it's easy for us to say, well, somebody has to do something. And that's generally when bad decisions get made is when we're not even sure where to begin, but we, we want somebody to look like they're trying. So let's talk about this pricing thing. Um, this slipped under the radar back in June. I don't even remember seeing a headline about this. I don't know what we were distracted with at the time that this happened. Um, and then obviously because the media couldn't be mad at Trump over this, um, you know, it didn't get much time in the headlines either. So it just kind of happened and disappeared pretty quickly. So let's, talk about why it's a bad idea. Um, this is one of those issues where, first of all, I just need to clarify with you that this podcast is for your entertainment and your education. I'm not a doctor, not a lawyer. I don't even play one on TV. I don't speak for anybody other than myself. I don't speak for my family. I don't speak for my employer anything like that. But this is one of those issues where, uh, for my own personal reasons, I got to make sure that cover my bases there. So why is this a bad idea? Why is this something that's just going to cause a bigger mess than the one we had before. When I talked to my friend, I, I compared it to this. I said, let's say that you drive for work and you have a company gas card and your boss comes to you and he says, hey, you know, I just got the bill for this past month's gas expenses and the bill is $50 higher this month than it was last month. What What's the deal? You've been driving the same amount. What's What's going on? And of course, you reply with, um, well, you know, gas prices went up. I, not much I can do about it. Um, I had to work, had to have gas in the car, so we paid it. And your boss says, well, why did, why did the price of gas go up? And you say, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't understand how gas prices work. And your boss says, well, you better find out because this bill is $50 higher than it used to be and I want answers. And let's just take that a step farther and say that he makes you go out of your way 
to figure out why gas prices were more expensive this month than they were last month. And so most of us do not understand why gas prices go up and down because generally it doesn't change so much that we are terribly concerned about it. And also because most of us know and understand that there are a lot of factors that go into setting the gas price and whether it would be some sort of labor strike in Europe or there's some sort of storm in Saudi Arabia or you know there's another issue with a tanker near Iran whatever it is any of those things any combination of those things and the fact that people's usage of oil and gas changes throughout the year um, you know gas prices typically go up a little bit during the summer because everybody's driving and traveling and um, they're, they're happy to be outside. So, and it wouldn't be long if, if your boss forced you to look into all of that and try to figure it out that one, you would spend so much time researching it that you wouldn't be able to do your real job. And number two, you probably wouldn't have a much better idea than you did in the first place of why it costs what it costs. There's just too many variables. There's too many factors. And so you're going to be forced to make some guesses, maybe just flat out make up a couple of things to give your boss something so that hopefully he gets the information that he wants and he feels satisfied with your response. But the truth is we don't know what most things cost. Can you imagine if you went out to dinner and your waitress brings you your bill and it doesn't just say that you had the steak dinner and that that costs $15, $20, but instead, they had the bill itemized and it told you what each of the dinner rolls cost. And it called, it told you what the butter to go with the rolls cost. And it told you what they paid for the silverware, what they paid for the salt and pepper shakers that are sitting on the table. And what part, what portion of that bill goes to the waitress who waited on you? And what portion of the bill goes to the cook that made it? And which one goes to the shift manager? And which one goes to pay for the soap to clean the restrooms? You can see very quickly that you can get way out of hand with how far a dollar goes. There's an old Milton Friedman thing called I pencil. And he talks about just how much labor and how many people are involved in the process of creating a pencil. And it's, it's incredible to, to think and to talk about, um, all the people work together for the smallest things. So when you talk about something that is much more complex, that there are many more steps along the way, like healthcare, and you're going to be dealing with dozens of different people along the stay. Um, and these people along the way have also varying degrees of experience, which means they're going to be getting paid differently. So your cost may be a little bit more if you see the most experienced guy in the building, as opposed to somebody who, who sees that 20 year old who's fresh out of college and, and brand new at this, who's not making as much money. So when you start looking into these costs, you're going to drive yourself crazy. And there's going to be so much information that no one's going to know what to do with it anyway. And one of the other variables that I wanted to talk about was if you know anything about supplies and manufacturing and that kind of thing in any industry, whether you're talking about toys, uh, bicycles, medication, medical products, whatever it is, you know that oftentimes even the manufacturer will sell these goods at a different price to different customers. And if you have a big company like Walmart who buys lots of things in bulk or who may be able to sign a contract promising they're going to purchase 
X amount of these things uh, over this quarter or this year, then they're going to give them a better deal than they would maybe a mom and pop shop that is not going to be able to make those kind of commitments and not going to be able to buy that volume of product. And of course, it, when you're, you're shipping things in volume, it's much easier to ship in larger units. It's much easier to predict your costs and, and the things that you're going to do with it. So it makes sense that you would give someone a discount for buying bulk. I think most of us understand that. Most of us understand that a bottle of soda is, you know, like a dollar sixty at the gas station, but you know, you can also buy a six pack at the grocery store for $2 or something like that. So we even understand that in our purchasing habits, that the more you buy of something, the better deal you're going to get on it. And when we just talk about the supplies that a hospital uses, you're going to run into a lot of the same issues. So your big hospital that is in a big city and sees lots and lots of patients on a regular basis, they are going to get a better deal on a lot of medical supplies because they're buying more of those medical supplies than perhaps a rural hospital that's much smaller and doesn't see nearly as many people. They're not going to use that. They're not going to be able to get that kind of deal that the big hospitals get. So there's going to be a difference in prices there. Also, in a lot of sales-driven industries, some of those in the medical field, and again, this applies all across the board to all kinds of different industries, when you get toward the end of a quarter and the manufacturers are trying to make uh, their sales goals and they see that they're coming up a little bit short, they may run specials at the last minute to say, hey, if you hurry up and you buy this bulk purchase, we'll give you an extra 20% off. Or you know, you, you buy you buy 10 things and you'll get one free. Whatever it is, they're going to start pushing those things to try to encourage their customers to buy a little bit extra now so that they can hit their sales goal. And then of course, whatever stock extra is bought, um, you know, they're just going to be able to hold on to that and they'll be able to use it over the next couple of weeks or a couple of months or however it works. Um, and, and again, not saying that there's anything wrong with that. We understand just even from the way that we purchase things and from a free market perspective that you're not hurting anybody by doing this. But when this law goes into effect and we start looking at what the cost of these items are and we start comparing them across the board to what other places are charging, what you're going to run into is you're going to have some senator grandstanding in front of everybody and he's going to be pounding his fist on the table demanding to know why this big city hospital is charging patients less than what some hospital out in the country is charging. I mean, isn't it true? I mean, don't people out in the country deserve the same affordable health care that urban citizens have? I mean, what's the problem here? Why are you discriminating against people in rural areas? And very quickly, we will see, uh, just knowing what we know about economics in the free market and what we just talked about, that that's not the case at all. But instead, it's a matter of economics. And then maybe you start looking into even different patients in the same hospital. And when we talk about, you know, there's a, there's an item, some widget is $500 and, um, that's what it costs the hospital to buy. And you, you know, have this widget used in your surgery or implanted in your body, whatever it is. And it's normally $500, but it's the end of the quarter. Somebody's running a special and they're going to take 20% off if the hospital promises to buy uh, bulk amount of these. So they buy the bulk amount, they get 20% off. So instead of $500, this, these last couple cost $400. So what happens when you start going through the prices and you look at the price 
that one patient paid a week before the end of the quarter when they got this $500 device. And then a couple of weeks later, after this purchase was made, the next patient gets this widget for $400. And again, you're going to have the Senator grandstanding, pounding the table, wanting to know why were these two people charged two different prices? And if you know anything about the society we live in today, you know that one of the first things that they're going to do is they're going to look at the demographics of the two different patients. And God help you if one of them was a man and one of them was a woman, or one of them was a minority and one of them was not. And we get into this other big thing about why are we discriminating against whatever. And once again, we just jump back and we say, look, it was just a matter of timing and variables in prices. It is very, very possible that two people that are exactly the same and, and the exact same um, you know, severity or whatever of those things, they can have the, the same thing done two different days and legitimately have two different costs because of it. And like I mentioned before, how, how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go to figure out why it costs what it costs? So when you start dragging these things, again, you're just making a much bigger mess. You're just going to be getting more people upset, giving people more of a reason to throw a fit and to demand more answers when hospital administrators are not economists. They do not know why things cost the way they cost. Their job is to run the hospital much in the same way that whatever business you have, you don't know why you pay what you pay for every single item. And so when I was talking about this with my friend, he said, of course, but even if we bring these prices down quite a bit, you know, if, if you have a $60,000 hospital stay, even if you bring that down by 50%, you're still looking at a, a $30,000 bill. You know, is the free market really going to help things that much? And my answer is, and, and this will sound like a little bit of a cop-out, but, but bear with me here. The beauty of the free market is I don't have to tell you how it's going to work because I don't have to know how it's going to work. Free markets allow people to get rich by giving services to other people, right? Jeff Bezos is the richest guy in the country, richest guy in the world. And he did it by making sure that you can get whatever you want delivered to your door as quickly as possible. You can say he makes too much money. You can say you're not going to shop at Amazon because you don't like what they pay their employees or whatever. But the truth is Jeff Bezos has made a profit and he's raised the bar for everybody around him. And you see places like Walmart and Target bumping up their services online to make sure that they can stay competitive. And it makes things easier for all customers all across the board, even if you've never spent a dime with Amazon. And the same thing can happen in healthcare if we let it. But one of the problems with healthcare is that insurance mucks everything up. Um, health insurance was actually kind of caused by the federal government back in World War II. They messed with the free market and wouldn't allow companies to, to give people raises. So what the company started doing to get around that was, well, we'll pay you the same, but we'll also give you health insurance. And this will cover part of your health care. And over the years, health insurance has grown into something that is not really insurance, right? When you talk about insurance, we should be talking about some sort of uh, policy that protects you against catastrophic issues. You know, your car insurance, you overpay on car insurance every month. 
And 99% of the time, you are not going to have an, a car accident. You're not going to have somebody break into your car or a tree fall onto your car where you have to file a claim with them. And so you and thousands, probably tens of thousands of other people who shop at your insurance company, they are all overpaying for something that they're probably not going to use, but they have peace of mind and they're also covered legally, which is uh, another thing. They have peace of mind that if you are in a car accident today, you're not going to have to pay the whole price of the car to get it repaired. That you know you have a small deductible, you have a deductible, and all you have to do is pay that and your insurance is going to cover the rest. So while it may be frustrating, you know that you are taking somewhat of a loss up front so that if something big happens, you're going to be covered in the future. And that is not how health insurance works. And health insurance instead is some sort of weird, I don't even know what the word to use for it is, but it's almost some sort of subsidy where you pay into them and then they're going to pay for almost everything that has anything to do with your health. And so, you know, much the same way that if, you're, if your tire, if your air pressure is low in one of your tires in your car, all you have to do is, is find an air pump and pump it up a little bit. Not a big deal. You know, if you need an oil change, you go to the place and you pay the money and you get your oil changed and that's the end of it. But if you have something similar happen, just a routine checkup at the doctor, or um, you have a small cold and you need to get, you know, a little bit of amoxicillin or penicillin, something cheap and common, you're still going to have your insurance involved with that. And every step of the way, that's going to drive up the prices because you have somebody different filling out a different piece of paper, passing on a different form, and every single person that touches that and approves it and processes it is driving that price up ever more. So insurance is driving prices up. We also know that insurances only pay hospitals a portion of the bill that they're given. So hospitals know if they're only going to get, say, 30% of what's on the bill, then they're going to be tempted to jack that bill up another 300% or so, so that hopefully they can get their initial cost covered in the first place. And then when that cost gets carried over to somebody who may not have insurance, they're still getting those inflated prices. And because you expect your insurance to cover as much as, as much as possible, you're going to want them to buy the most expensive products available. So you're not, so we're not inclined to shop for the best value product anymore. Um, you know, if you're shopping for car seats for your kids, you're going to look and there's going to be a whole row of them up and down this aisle, right? And there's going to be the cheapest ones on one end all the way up to the most expensive ones on the other end. And just because you don't buy the most expensive car seat doesn't mean that you care any less about your kids than the person who does happen to buy the Cadillac of car seats on that far end that costs just an outrageous amount. In reality, you know that all of them offer basically the same amount of safety and that you're just looking at some bells and whistles um, that make one just a little bit different than the other. In much the same way, when you're talking about some sort of healthcare, something that's going to be going, you know, used to keep you safe and healthy, whether it's medication or some kind of implant or whatever it is, you're going to be tempted when, when someone else is footing the bill, you're going to be tempted to say, look, Whatever it costs, I don't care. I want the best. This is my life we're talking about. And so you're going to be more tempted and the, the hospitals are going to be more tempted to buy the more expensive item when perhaps there's really not much of a difference between the top of the line item and, and the one that's in the middle of the line. But I want the best. I have insurance. My insurance is supposed to pay for it. So give me the best. 
So that in turn is also going to encourage manufacturers to raise the prices on their products just to help them stay competitive in that market. So, hey, I'm running out of time, but hopefully that helps you understand a little bit of why healthcare costs, the real reason healthcare costs are so out of control is because of the insurance and is because of all of those extra steps that we have along the way and that prices are going to vary from year to year and month to month and possibly even day to day. And that's not a bad thing. That does not mean that you're getting ripped off. That is just economics at work and that is how things operate. And just the same way that you don't throw a fit every time you have to put gas in your car, we shouldn't have to throw a fit every single time we get a medical bill and there's something on it that we may not completely understand. And if you want to help bring the cost of healthcare down, you've got to get insurance out of it. You've got to get health insurance just removed from the equation so that you can actually pay for the services and the the products that you're going to use instead of somebody stepping in the middle and having a system where the where the the prices are just incessantly driven up because this industry doesn't work like a free market. Hey, I got to get into work, get some work done. Uh, I'm going to cover more of this when I get back. Thank you so much for listening. Give me just a few minutes and I'll be back. All right, I am leaving work back in my car. Uh, Sorry to leave you here. Hopefully you had blankets and snacks and didn't get too cold. Anyway, so just to kind of finalize what I was saying before uh, I left was that insurance is the thing, that, that health insurance is the thing that is messing up all the prices that is messing up so much of the free market. And um, we can talk about the FDA another day and how regulations also slow down the advancement of medicine and how they make medicine a lot more expensive. But for the purpose of this conversation, mainly just talking about insurance and how much that raises the prices. And uh, like I said, how the insurance, uh, the, the way that it's done, it just encourages higher prices. It doesn't work like things in the free market where people are constantly wanting to lower their prices. And so you might ask in the free market, how does this work? What would that look like? Well, like I said, in the first place, honestly, I don't know. And I don't, I don't have to know. Um, There are people who are better at this than me, who can specialize in those things, who can find ways to not only make themselves rich, but to make themselves rich by helping other people and by helping the system all across the board. And even by helping their competitors to make things better for you, the consumer, the patient. So uh, one example of this would be, uh, I'll attach a Tom Woods episode. And this is, uh, podcasts only hold, the, the podcast feeds only hold like 300 episodes or something like that. So Tom Woods is coming up on 2000 now. So this is all the way back, like episode 600 or something like that. But he interviews a doctor in a cash only practice. And he is in like Kansas City or something like that. And what he does is he basically treats his doctor's practice like a gym membership. And you don't, he doesn't take insurance. And you pay him uh, a monthly fee, whatever whatever fee it is. I don't remember if it's like $300 a month or $100 a month, something like that, whatever it is. And just like at the gym, everything that he does is covered under the membership fee that, that you pay to be a member. And uh, he tells Tom Woods in his interview that he gives out stitches for free because he can buy the suture to do stitches for next to nothing. So it's it's easy enough just for him to, to give you those stitches for free. He can do basic x-rays, um, basic scans for free. So that's covered in your membership. He covers a lot of the more common medication and um, he's able to get that for a very low cost or uh, potentially even able to give you free. He talked about how he got one of the popular uh, diabetic medications 
and he was paying something like seven cents a pill for it or something like incredibly cheap. And so he felt that it was, it was better for him to give that away and just to give himself the advertisement of saying, Hey, I give away these diabetic pills for free under my practice that, that he's willing to even just take a loss on those seven cent pills um, so that he can, you know, talk himself up and talk his practice up as uh, being even more valuable to you as a member. So that is one way where, again, you're, you're not dealing with um, most health issues that you have are something that is, uh, you know, somewhat recurring, you know, if you have uh, some kind of chronic thing that bugs you or um, most people just get the sniffles every now and then, you know, when you have strep throat or when you have the flu. And most of the time, you know, going into the doctor, generally what it's going to be, and, and they are able to tell pretty easily. And, and you just need to get you some medicine to get you feeling better. It's not this extensive thing um, that insurance often makes it out to be. And so it's so much cheaper and so much affordable to do it that way. And um, if you were to ask me, you know, what it would look like in a free market, um, if you were to, to take the government completely out of healthcare or completely out of anything, really. And I think a lot of those things that the government is supposed to take care of and government is supposed to um, oversee could actually be overseen by insurance companies and insurance policies. And so uh, the same way that sometimes people will buy, if they're traveling, they'll buy a small insurance policy that just covers them for the duration of their airplane trip, right? And it, it expires at the end of their trip. And so they can get it pretty cheap because you know something's probably not going to happen. Um, but just in case, you know, you're covered. And I think that from a healthcare perspective, it would probably look very similar in that sense. You know, I had, a, had several friends who have had babies who were premature and, you know, they had an extended stay in the hospital. When you find out at, you know, six weeks or whatever, when your wife pees on the stick and tells you that there's a baby in there, um, you can go immediately and you can go get an insurance policy and the insurance company is going to run the numbers and they're going to say, okay, uh, you know what, 90%, 95% of pregnancies have generally no issues and the baby's born healthy and happy. And so we'll be willing to take our chances with this person that they're going to be in the, the large majority here. And so you can buy probably a relatively cheap insurance policy that's going to cover you, um, you know, the nine months, the 10 months uh, duration of carrying the baby and having it delivered at the hospital and making sure everything's healthy and sending everybody home. And that policy could just then expire at that time. But there's no reason that you need to carry, um, you know, one of the things that Obamacare did was it added all of these things that insurance companies have to carry. And um, if I remember correctly, you know, it covers your pregnancy and your visits to the OB when you're pregnant. And um, if you are a male, I do know it's 2019, but you're still very unlikely to get pregnant as a male. So why is your insurance going to cover something like that? Heck, maybe there would be an, an insurance agency for males only, and they would never, ever cover anything like ovarian cysts or pregnancy. I, I don't know. There's a million different ways that you could do it. And um, somebody out there between all of us can find the best way to do it. And somebody can figure out how to do that and how to make it profitable and how to make it better for everybody else. And if you leave the government out of it, 
that opens the possibilities to all of us. What are there, 250, 350 million people in this country that might have something to say or might have some kind of input about that. But when you put it all in the federal government's hands, then suddenly we're whittled down from those 350 million people to now, how is Donald Trump going to fix healthcare? How is President Bernie Sanders or President Joe Biden going to fix healthcare? What do they even know about healthcare? You know, is, is your local state representative any better on it? I doubt it. So by taking that out of the consumer's hands, out of the free market and giving it to this weird, uh, almost socialist government insurance thing that they do, you take so much of the room for improvement, so much of the room for cost reduction, and so much of the free market out of the healthcare system, and you cause it to become this giant thing that it is now. And now we've gotten to the point where people keep trying to talk about how to fix insurance when insurance is the thing that's broken healthcare from the beginning anyway. You know, you could also carry a policy just against cancer, and you know, you, you pay that little bit, and just like it is with the car insurance, you know. All along the way, you're overpaying a little bit uh, statistically, but it gives you the peace of mind. It gives you the security to know that if X happens, all I've got to do is make a call, file a claim, and it's taken care of. And I don't have 50 million adjusters and um, other people with their nose in my business every time I get the sniffles and I have to go to the doctor. So clearly... Just making the prices transparent, they're not going to fix any of those issues. They're not going to help us along in any of those things. So the best possible thing we can do is leave it as open as possible. And if you ask me what the long-term plan is to fix our healthcare system, you've just got to allow private practices like this guy on the Tom Woods show, allow them to operate and allow them to overtake the current market. And you'll see, you can see more and more of these things popping up, more people carrying insurance policies only for catastrophic issues, not to cover your little stomach bug. Um, and as people see that those things are cheaper, that they're more efficient, that they're more effective, um, everybody can slowly just move over to that system and, and leave the insurance, the government and the, the large health insurance companies just, just to rot out on their own. So the other thing that has made the news in the past couple of weeks that everybody is relatively on board with um, is this federal animal cruelty law that has been signed into law. Now, on the surface, we all agree, hey, we don't like people abusing animals, right? We don't wanna see anybody um, neglect or hurt, injure their animals in any way, or, um, you know, even, I guess you could probably say mental mistreatment, you know, if you yell at your dog for no reason or something like that. Um, those are, we are all pretty well across the board. You know, animals and kids are generally fairly innocent, uh, unless you have a cat, and we want to treat them the best we can, and anybody who mistreats them is generally considered a bad person by all of us. Fair enough. Um, but as I told you in, in a tweet, kind of previewing this episode, this law, it's garbage. Do you have any idea how many states already have animal cruelty laws on the books? You take a guess? 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. 50 states already have animal cruelty laws on the books. So why 
do you now need a federal animal cruelty law? Well, the people in favor of the law, which is, again, basically everyone, um, they say that it's going to make it a little bit easier to track people down and prosecute people who have animal cruelty charges uh, in multiple states or something, you know, some kind of operation that crosses state lines. So bringing the feds in is going to help everything, make everything better. And uh, as you have learned listening to the show by no doubt, you don't need to bring the federal government into every little thing about our society and every little thing about our legal system. Um, the way things work in California is very different than the way things work in Montana, which is very different from the way things work in Massachusetts, which is very different from the way things work in Alaska. All of these different places have different customs, different cultures, different um, you know recreational indus- industries. You know, some people probably think that you're absolutely crazy to go out and kill a deer for fun, but other people see that as a perfectly normal thing, and you you get the meat and it's delicious, and that's part of life. You know, that's part of growing up. So to bring in someone to oversee all of this, uh, is just asking for a lot of trouble. Now this violates the 10th amendment because the 10th amendment says that the federal government isn't supposed to do anything that was not directly enumerated to it in the constitution. So the constitution does not say the federal government shall create animal cruelty laws to protect animals all across state lines and everywhere then that means the federal government has no business putting their two cents into it. They have no business sticking their nose into it. So this particular law talks about the uh, pretty general language. You know, it talks about the abuse of animals. Uh, You're you're not supposed to harm them in any kind of uh, cruel or uh, inappropriate or odd way. Um, It specifically points out that you are not to videotape yourself uh, or distribute videotapes of anybody doing this, which again, sounds pretty benign, right? Yeah, we can all agree uh, that anybody who hurts animals and, and takes videos of it and shares those videos is a complete dirtbag. We, we're, I'm on board with you here. And it also makes, it has exceptions in the law that anything that is generally considered to be uh, common practice or veterinary practice or um, anything that basically already kind of fits in with our culture that are, are done to animals um, that those things aren't covered in there. So, you know, some dogs have their ears cropped or their tails cropped, you know, you, you get them spayed or neutered, you know, you kill a deer and you take it to the taxidermist to have it stuffed and have its head put on your wall. All of these things, all of these things that we would generally consider to be fairly normal, whether or not you like it, all of those things are given an exception in this law. So once again, it's, it's slipped through there. I, I think Chris Ann Hall said that it was only like a page and a half long. That it was a pretty short, simple, don't hurt animals, don't take videos of it, but it is okay if it's something that's you know commonly been done and commonly considered a staple of, of how we raise them and treat them. But the problem is, first of all, the, the biggest problem, the number one issue is, yes, it violates the 10th Amendment. They have no business doing it. The other thing is, it doesn't say how the law is to be enforced. Uh, I don't believe it gives any um, kind of uh, guidelines for sentences and how it you know, will be prosecuted. And more importantly, it doesn't say which executive agency is supposed to enforce these laws. So now, not only have you made something illegal that was already illegal in all 50 states, but you have given free reign for any agency 
to try to prosecute somebody on those things as they see fit. And more importantly, as you know, power always grows. Government agencies always grow. The federal government always grows to take on more and more and more. So when you give them an opportunity to take on just the mistreatment of animals, how long until that expands into other ways that animals are treated? You know, are you going to have the FBI coming in telling you how you're allowed to raise the cattle on your farm? How big the pins are supposed to be? What the barn is supposed to look like? Sooner or later, Christian Hall said there's probably going to be a new agency created just to oversee these type of things because it wasn't directly given to anybody. So somebody's going to want to make something new that they can put their name on and they can put one of their friends in charge of who's now going to be working for the federal government, going after all of the people who are cruel to animals, who their local state police and their sheriffs should already be going after anyway. And we have a law on the books now and everybody, everybody cheered, everybody clapped. Um, this was introduced, I, I don't remember who it was, but it was introduced by a Republican and a Democrat. So, uh, of course, it, it got the whole bipartisan thing and everybody claps their hands and cheers because we, we took great steps to, to make something illegal that was already against the law. Um, but now that you've got this law on the books and they got their names on the headline that everybody passed it and everybody was happy, now you leave openings to make changes to this law. And maybe before where it was considered normal to crop a dog's ears if you were a dog breeder, well, now maybe they decide that's going to be against the law. And maybe you weren't aware that the law changed. Maybe they changed the law just to go after one particular person or one particular industry. You're going to be able to have corporations and lobbyists who are able to influence the way that these laws are enforced and the way that these things are regulated, which means you're immediately going to be giving, uh, allowing the biggest companies to push out the little guys, your local taxidermist, your local veterinarian, isn't going to be able to afford to keep up with all of these things. And it may just give another reason for the FBI, the CIA, whoever else may have a problem with somebody. It gives them another reason, another, another tool in their toolbox to go after somebody that they don't like. You know, right now, a lot of times, um, you, you see charges came brought up, um, against somebody that they don't like that, that seem to kind of come out of nowhere, you know, and a lot of times it seems to me like it's, it's something to do with like child pornography or rape or one of those, one of those nasty things that nobody wants anything to do with. Nobody wants to, to defend or anything like that. Um, and those are the things that kind of pop up against people who have upset someone in the government. We saw it with Julian Assange that um, just magically about the same time that he releases this latest trove of documents that makes the U.S. look bad, well, all of a sudden there's a, a rape charge brought out of nowhere in Sweden. And they, they don't really have any evidence for it. They don't have anything to back it up, but it just conveniently happens to be brought up at the same time that they're trying to, tr to bring him in for espionage or whatever. But um, yeah, just, just trust us. We just want to talk to you about this rape that you probably didn't do. Um, and we saw the same thing. I think the guy's name was Cody Wilson, who um, won a Supreme Court case that his releasing of the plans for 3D printed guns were not a violation, uh, that he had a First Amendment right to allow those to be dispersed. So they tried to push back on him. They tried to say that, you know, this was um, him, you know, basically running guns, smuggling guns, um, that you can get guns in the hands of dangerous people. And what he said was, um, you know, I'm not doing anything with the guns. I'm not allowed, I'm not giving anybody guns. I'm not transferring guns. All I'm doing is letting somebody download the plans for a gun to a 3D printer if they want to. 
And uh, he won that case. And then uh, conveniently, right after it was over with, all of a sudden, um, he gets caught with a prostitute that's underage and had apparently lied about her age. And um, again, I'm not trying to defend those actions. I'm, I'm not trying to defend, you know, you know where I stand on those things. But it seems awfully convenient that just about the same time that they're trying to close in on somebody and they get away, uh, you know, the Al Capone thing, they, they bring him in on tax evasion of all things because they are not competent or they don't have the legal authority to bring them in on something different. And by allowing something else like animal cruelty to be brought into the books and then to be amended and changed um, as they see fit pretty much under the radar because headlines aren't going to, to be made uh, when the law is amended, generally just when it's passed and everybody can take credit for it, that you are opening somebody up to even those types of things that maybe, you know, that this guy may have done something that upsets them, but maybe you just recently find out that he went hunting and he used the wrong type of bullet or he didn't tag something properly, or, you know, he, he made some kind of food in his home that was turned out to be from an animal that, that came from a, a non-certified manufacturer. I mean, it, it could be anything. And again, right now you might say, yeah, you're stretching this too far. You're looking too far into it, but what happens with the power of government? It always grows. It always gets larger. It never decreases. And all too often we see it used. We see it used against people so oftentimes, oftentimes in ways that the law was never meant to be enforced. So this animal cruelty law, I'm going to be honest with you, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It, it is opening up a whole another can of worms, uh, just like I said, was with this price transparency law. And hopefully those of you who send messages to me telling me that I'm, I'm too easy on Trump, hopefully uh, I was able to call you out here on somewhere where you were probably too easy on Trump. And um, just to know uh, that if you stick to peace, property rights, and free markets, um, if, if we're going to have a federal government, if we can get them to stick to the Constitution, it prevents us from a lot of these other issues um, that we shouldn't have to deal with and that federal government shouldn't be interested in. But I'm home. My trip is over. I think I've talked about everything I need to talk about. Um, thank you so much for following the podcast and continuing to listen. Give me a rating on iTunes and Stitcher if you can. Reach out to me. Uh, my email address is garrettagain at pm.me. I'm on Twitter slash Garrett again, facebook.com slash Garrett again. And as always, Garrett just has one R. So uh, until next time, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.